No witty remarks or brutal attempts to be funny today. Just positive vibes being sent to Josh Naylor after that vicious, and I mean vicious, collision in Minneapolis. It's a Selby is Godcast. You're listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know it's bad when you start texting your friends, hey, if you haven't seen that, do yourself a favor and don't watch it. And that's the text I got from you, bud. So I'm glad you gave me that heads up because I had it on on the radio and I didn't see it real time. And then I went back and watched the real-time video, but I didn't go back and watch the slow motion. And I still haven't for reasons that you laid out. It's one of those surreal scenes that kind of makes you feel a little sick to your stomach. And not just because I had some mystery sausage for lunch from a concession stand at the ballpark, but um, just it's hard to shake the image. Um I don't know about you and I don't, we don't need to get too graphic, but I've, I've never seen a player react to being injured in that manner. The way he was kind of, I mean, I described it in a story. I mean, he truly was rolling around the outfield grass as if his uniform had caught fire. Um, And I can't imagine the pain he was going through and it wasn't just in the moment, but um, just, as he's being stretchered away, he's still shouting in agony. So just, just really, I think Rene Rivera said it was heartbreaking. Harold Ramirez said everybody was in shock. And um, for an afternoon where twins fans had a lot to cheer about, it was pretty loud. It was silent for the entire 12 minute delay. And um, that's just, yeah, it's, so we know now it's, it's a closed fracture of the ankle. I'm not, anything resembling a, a medical doctor, but uh, close fracture and dislocation of the right ankle. And he's traveling back to Cleveland as we record this on Monday, and he'll be evaluated later in the week to determine what's next. When does he need to have surgery? What else does he need to do? Um, so a tough break for a, a kid who I think a lot of us felt, we've said it on the podcast, um, has a bright future, a lot of potential in that bat plays with just a relentless energy and enthusiasm that his teammates say was infectious and a Seems big like reason a why genuinely was... likable dude and a guy that a lot yeah. of people really, really like. So that's also Those, that's Canadians for you. Right? <laughs> that plays into it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the reputation, I guess. Boy. Yeah. That was, that was brutal to watch and you feel for him. You feel for Ernie Clement who, you could get into the particulars of the right fielder needs to call it off or the second baseman needs it. Well, okay. But things like this do happen in a baseball game with two guys trying to make a play and it's not any fault of his, but he felt absolutely horrible about it. I mean, Harold Ramirez had to escort him back to the dugout and Ernie Clements got his hat pulled down below his eyes. He just feels terrible about it. So you feel bad for him too, because you know, he's going to feel like no matter what anybody says in some, to some degree, he's probably going to feel like it's his fault that this mm-hmm. happened to Naylor. So it's it's tough all the way around. And they had to go out and finish a baseball game. And 
was tough in itself just because the twins were swinging for the fences and that was a, a pretty brutal Sunday all around. Have you ever broken a bone? Have you ever felt that? The only time I came close, I, I don't think I actually broke it, but I got elbowed in the nose by a teammate in a basketball game. Um, and I don't know. I, I can't remember if I just messed with it. So I never saw a doctor. Uh, the pain was so bad. I had to miss a few days of school, but that's, that was it. I've been fortunate or maybe I just haven't been taking many risks. I don't know. <laughs> How about you? You've had a lot, right? No, oh, I only have one. Or just I, some serious ones. I broke a wrist. Um, okay. And I did that when I was climbing. This was after a soccer practice when I was in second grade and I slipped off the monkey bars. And because I was wearing cleats on gravel, my feet slipped out from under me. My right hand went to brace my fall and I broke my wrist. And so I don't remember much being in, in second grade. I remember being in tremendous pain. I remember being taken to the hospital. Then I remember my parents saying, whoa, 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 whoa. when this is all done, we'll get McDonald's on the way home. So it was like kind of distracting. <laughs> oh, you mentioned McDonald's. I don't know if they had to say that to Naylor and if that would have worked in the ambulances. He's being taken to the hospital, but it worked for me so much that my parents even said when the, the diagnosis came back that, yeah, he's got a fracture in there. They were a little bit surprised because I was in better spirits once they mentioned the Happy Meal. But uh, it, I, I, I really can't imagine. I mean, it was a pretty small fracture. I got a cast on. I remember the rest of the year of that school year or at least in, until I don't remember how long I had the cast on. But I, I couldn't play soccer for the rest of the year, but I had to be on the team. So I sat on the sidelines doing nothing with a cast on my hand. And being orange slices. The thing that sticks with me is that this is the time when you have to do handwriting classes, right? And so I yeah, can't cursive. use my right hand to write in cursive. So I had to use my left hand and I'm not left-handed. And my teacher gave me a B in handwriting. How do you do that? How do you give a kid a B in handwriting? I'm writing with my left hand. I it's just crazy how, I mean, what a loss for you in life <laughs> to not be able to write in cursive. Yeah, so th that was a mild inconvenience, <laughs> the pit stop along the, the 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 road of life here. Much larger situation here for Naylor and obviously trying to bring some levity here to a situation that was pretty brutal to watch. And, and in fact, when, it, when I watched the replay, I thought to myself, how are we concerned about a head injury with the way that, that he spun around? And I thought I was concerned that his head might have hit the ground too. And so it was... It was all around pretty scary. Uh, I would say I'm, I'm glad that it's just a fractured ankle, but that's not really anything to be super glad about. Now the Indians have yet another important player that they are hoping to see what they are. They're going to have to hit the pause button on that because mm -hmm. he's going to be out for the foreseeable future, if not the rest of the year, I would imagine. And now they've got more moves to make. I, I guess, thankfully, it's not a pitcher this time, but still going to be so moving and shaking here in the coming days to figure out how they're going to cover for that loss in right field. Yeah, this is a little tricky given the timing of this. And we know you guys, some of you listen to it the instant it gets posted. We appreciate that. Some of you listen to this maybe a few days later. So we don't want to just sit here and talk for 30 minutes about what roster move they might make in a couple hours. Um, so I instead have... Oh, seven fun questions for you. 
Do you feel like can you guarantee you can the fun? What's the level yeah. of fun here? Scale of one to ten. Twelve. Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for all that fun. This is a Monday morning after all. Well, we do know that they're going to be sifting through some things that they probably already had in the mix. Notably, Franmil Reyes looks like he's pretty ready to return. I mean, he's crushing home runs and extra base hits at Columbus. So I have to imagine he's feeling decent. Probably not to a point where he can play every single day, but I would think that he's close enough that they're going to be thinking about activating him, if not today, in the very, very near future. But they're going to need another outfielder, too, Mm -hmm. Uh, because they only have three of them on the roster if you don't count the guy that has now taken over the everyday shortstop duties in Ahmed Rosario. But that could factor into their plans, too. But you've got questions for me. I'm eager to answer them. Are you also going to partake, or are you just going to put me on the spot? I'll I'll offer some some insider feedback after you answer them. I think everyone wants to hear your answers. These are tailored to you. I think you're overestimating our audience's desire to hear my thoughts, but go ahead. I am eager to just that, just that one guy who didn't want to, because you try to be funny. <laughs> that's anyway. true. I can't argue with that. <laughs> all right. Question I number one. Self laugh. And really that's all that matters. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, the Indians traveling beat writers were out to dinner on Saturday night and there was an Indians fan sitting in the table behind us. And she was talking about how none of her friends think she's funny, but she makes herself laugh and that's all that matters. And we think she was on a, a blind date or maybe a Tinder meetup. Uh, the, the surrounding tables were all very interested and they both left the table <laughs> multiple times at the same time and then both came back. It was very... It's a lot going on there. Uh, she was wearing a Francisco Lindor jersey, and the guy maybe didn't even seem to be from Cleveland. Anyway, n- not here nor there. If they're I, listening, let it reach out. Let us know what the deal really was and how the night I need, ended. I need to know the outcome, and we can recap the entire thing coming up later this week over at Patreon. <laughs> perfect, perfect plug. Okay. Question number one. So I, I they have, if we agree, they need an outfielder because Framo Reyes his activation from the injured list is independent from Naylor's injury. Um, you know, if Naylor was still healthy, they'd be activating Fran Mill and sending down, I would assume either Clement or Chang. So they need an outfielder four ways to do that. Number one, this is in no particular order. Number one, call up Mercado. Number two, call up Daniel Johnson. Number three, call up uh, Nolan Jones. Number four, call up Andres Jimenez and move Ahmed Rosario back to center field. There's no point in debating what they are going to do, what they should do, because they're going to do something by the time most of you listen to this. So instead, TJ, rank those four players at AAA in terms of who it is most important to learn about in 2021. Ooh, that's a, that's a different twist, because I was going to go in a different direction there until you said that last part that you need to find out about in 2021. Because Andres Jimenez remains interesting. Nolan Jones is one of their best prospects, no matter who you ask. And those are both two guys that I really want to find out about. But is it as important to find out about them in 2021 as it would be a guy that's a little bit older, that is currently occupying a 40-man spot that you might need to be thinking about in the offseason? Like Daniel Johnson? Hmm... I mean, I, I phrased it that way on purpose. I think we would agree if you're simply looking for the move that 
I don't know. We can talk about it after after you answer that. Does that how different is that from the list of if you were the team, what would you do? It's it's a little bit different. I would be it would be very difficult for me to not want to call up Nolan Jones and see what he could become. Are you comfortable with Harold Ramirez in center field? Uh, comfortable is probably not the word I would use to describe it. I think you're going to take some sort of hit with him playing center field. The numbers reflect that. But the offense that he brings from position in center field, I am probably willing to live with it on most days. If I could have somebody on the roster that comes in later in the innings and I can shift my outfield around, and if it's a close game, I know I can have a better center fielder out there for the final couple of innings. That's probably so how I would attack it. Here's why this doesn't – there's – this is sort of resembles opening day in that it's not the perfect – you don't have the right puzzle pieces in place. Um, let's say they called up Johnson or Jones. Those guys are left-handed hitters. Jones especially has been just dreadful against lefties throughout the minors. And you don't want to take your top prospect who's – very young and platoon him, and then he becomes Lonnie Chisenhall or uh, Tyler Naquin or the parade of part-time corner outfielders they've had for the last 15 years. So it's that's one difficult aspect of this. The other dis- difficult aspect is the the defense guy who you're talking about is Bradley Zimmer, and he's another lefty. So if you yeah. called up someone like Daniel Johnson and you didn't want to play him all the time against lefties then you could slide Harold Ramirez to right field on those days. He could play center against righties. He could play right against lefties. And then, but then you're having Zimmer play against only lefties. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense. So Mercado would make more sense in place of Zimmer. If you're, on thinking, this if you're thinking about roster fit only, Mercado makes the most sense because then he, well, he makes the most sense to me in place of Zimmer. I, he doesn't make the most sense to me in as like, Right well, what I'm saying is, if Zimmer is occupying, if you're truly trying to find out if Zimmer can be anything more than just a toolsy guy that plays occasionally, he's playing against right-handed pitching. And then you need someone to pair off of that. Mm-hmm. And that would be where the right-handed hitter comes into play in Mercado. Gotcha. So you're just saying put Harold in right this field is every just, day? This is just an exercise of what you want Zimmer to be. If you want Zimmer to play then Mercado is your guy. If you're less concerned about that and Zimmer is just a piece that occasionally plays and maybe comes in late for pinch running or, or, or defense duties, then I want Daniel Johnson up here. And I, I don't care between the two of them. I don't know if it's, if it's Ramirez or Johnson, but one of those two can play center field. If Johnson hits enough against right-handed pitching, that it makes sense. Now, he hasn't proven that. He got one opportunity briefly earlier this year, and it didn't go well. But I still want to find out about him. And because he's older, he's a little bit ahead of guys like Jones and Jimenez who are younger and, and have have more time before you have to really start answering those questions. It's a little bit more pressing for Johnson. So based on your question, the way that you phrased it, I think it goes Johnson, Mercado, Jones, Jimenez. But it's a different order if you're asking me mm-hmm. you know, who I'm most intrigued by or who I would prefer to see them call up but if you're saying that here are two guys that occupy 40 man spots that you need to know whether or not going to 2022 will still be occupying 40 man spots and if they're not capable of holding down some sort of role on this team right now when you have a need then why are they on your 40 man roster 
why are you even concerned about holding on to them? So mm-hmm. that's why I order it that way. Johnson's slightly ahead of Mercado, but if you're only thinking about fit and giving Zimmer opportunities in center field, and right now I don't know that he's doing much to hold on to that, but if that is your concern, Mercado makes the most sense. Yeah, I think we agree. And I think it comes back to what we said about Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers, where it's you gave Bowers two months, and with every day that you let Bowers play, you were preventing yourself from learning about Bobby Bradley for another day. And you needed to have enough runway to be able to have an informed opinion about Bobby Bradley by the end of the season. It's the same thing here. Maybe you don't need final answers on both Mercado and Johnson, but I don't know that both of those guys are going to be on the 40-man roster next season. Johnson's, what, 26 now? Uh, You have to have answers. You have to have... Because you have to go into next season knowing what you need. <laughs> and is are Johnson and Mercado going to solve those? Or do you go get another outfielder somewhere? And then do you have enough space for those guys? So yeah, we're on the same page there. Um, I just think it's more, it's interesting because their thought process, obviously you want the players, the combination of players who are going to give you the best chance to win. But you're also developing guys. So you have to balance that. Is this the right time to call up Nolan Jones and let him play? on a mostly everyday basis for a few months? Or do you need to see more in AAA since he's only been hot for a few weeks? Is Jimenez, who was on a power tear, ready to come back? Has he made changes that will help him be a better hitter in the majors? Do you like the defensive composition better with Jimenez at shortstop and Rosario in center? A lot of questions. We'll get some answers pretty soon. Question number two. Outside of the big three, Uncle Brian and his boys, Karen Check, Class A, and Shaw, which reliever do you trust the most? This is a tough one to answer. Phil Maton has been confounding this year. There are some at-bats. <laughs> I mean, it goes at-bat to at-bat. There are some at-bats he looks absolutely ridiculously filthy. And then he comes back and walks three in a row. And you're just pulling your hair out because you see the flashes of brilliance. You see what he can be when on, but it even, he loses it in the course of an outing. There's a reason why he had been relegated to come in and clean up after the starter leaves in the first or second inning. Unfortunately, when you have now pulled guys out of your bullpen to be in your rotation, that's bumped guys like Maton into some higher leverage spots or Trevor Steffen into some higher leverage spots. And that's the, the double edge here is that it's not just you having to now dip into your depth further than anyone ever would have ever considered for your starting rotation. But now you're removing guys like Quantrill, who was really good in that sort of whatever you want to call that. Is it a swingman role or the multi-inning role? The guys that can keep the game the close role. when you are trailing, but not by too much. And you want to keep that game still within striking distance. Those guys are now starting games for you, and it's bumped everybody up into spots that they probably shouldn't be when you're at your best. So I will say, even though he has had some hiccups recently, Nick Sandlin? Yeah, that's who I was going to go with as well. I mean, even when, it's, he, it's, even when he was on the mound to give up runs that weren't, or a run that wasn't his, it's because Nelson Cruz just muscled a ball into left field, still made its pitch. So I still think he's probably the guy that's fourth on that depth chart for me. Yeah, Maton is weird. I- I've wondered if he just needs to pitch more. I know his usage has been better. 
lately. Although he did, st- I mean, he went five days without pitching last week. I mean, it's it's odd because he his metrics are fascinating. Like there are very few pitchers in baseball who induce more swings and misses than he does. He gets guys to chase as much as almost any pitcher in baseball. His strikeout rate, even though he doesn't throw very hard, his strikeout rate is in the 95th percentile. <laughs> I mean, he's got the tools. The spin on both of his pitches is elite and has not decreased. He had one outing where his curveball spin was way down on June 17th, but his last four outings, it's been right back up. His curveball spin yesterday was over 3,000, and I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that means, but uh, that's as about I mean, as high as it you ever the seen. Guy, the guy on the back of his player's weekend jersey worth the nickname spin rate. This has been right. his, his his talent for a, a long time now. It's a reason why San Diego gave him a shot. It's a reason why Cleveland gave him a shot. Yeah. I think and there at are the things same time, to build on, but it just hasn't been consistent. Right. At the same time, he's getting destroyed. I mean, when guys are making contact, his average exit velocity is just leaps and bounds higher than it's ever been in his career. His barrel rate is not good. Um, so very strange, but I, I do wonder, I'm still so intrigued by him and he's got the tools and the definitely the intelligence where outside of those three, I, I guess you're just, you're waiting for someone to prove they can be consistent. I think that's, that's the thing with Sandlin and he's, he's a rookie. So uh, of course you're, you can't be too greedy here. He's been fantastic. Um, but with Maton and with Wickgren and some of those guys, you're, you, I think you wish you had a little more consistency. But again, how many teams have this many reliable relievers? It's you are being a little greedy. So, yeah, I mean, Blake with Parker you. might get there soon. Yeah, with some, uh, he certainly has earned more trust from Tito, who I mean, seems a, to like you him. know what he is at this point. He's a veteran. He's been around forever, so it's not. Gonna, he's Manship. He's Atchison. He's, he's it's not a Sotero. Yeah, it's 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 fine. It, and again, we're talking about now the fourth guy in line in your bullpen. Yep. How many teams feel like they have four lockdown relievers? Probably not many. No. And like you said, we some of their Quantrill was giving them some of their best relief outings, but he's now starting, and he, he's having to go through all of, the, of those pitfalls. So this is what happens when your depth is as stretched as the Indians are. Now you're putting guys in positions where it's going to be pretty inconsistent. I mean, Whitgren has been extremely disappointing. I don't know how much of that is he doesn't pitch consistently. But we're talking about a guy that was pretty good for them the last couple of years, and it's just he's not replicated that whatsoever. I'd still be fascinated to watch Hedges in a bullpen role too, um, where he doesn't have to try to get by with a 94 mile an hour fastball, which hitters are just tattooing, um, and he can mix it up more, focus on his two good pitches, and also throw harder and let it all out for an inning. But I mean, how many, how many of the guys right now do you, I feel like I could describe seven of their pitchers by saying, you see the things that they love. Right. Well, and that's you're what happens when you have this young of a roster and these guys are inexperienced and a lot of them should be pitching a triple a right now. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of teams could make that case, but the Indians certainly up there with all of them. Similar question for question three, the game is on the line. It's the ninth inning. Jose Ramirez is standing on second base. Which healthy hitter do you want at the plate? <laughs> How many outs? 
That really is going to change your answer? It might. Do you need to know the score? Maybe. Do you want to know who's on the mound? Absolutely. Do you want to know what ballpark you're playing in? Is it a a day game or a night game? Is the roof open or closed? Full moon? Ah, wait. Most important thing has Zach Meisel written about him any time in the last week. Okay, let's take a quick little break here. Uh, (laughs) I need to confess something. Oh, God. So we talked on our Patreon episode last week about how I was talking to a player's parents who they brought up the Meisel jinx without me saying anything. Um, it was Sam Hentges' parents. Hentges didn't have a great outing, but they even said, can you hold your story until Monday? I did. I listened. <laughs> and, um, you know, the Naylor injury kind of overshadowed everything. Okay. I don't believe this factors into the Naylor, the, into the Meisel jinx, because it, it's been this, the thing that has been so remarkable this season is I write the story. The story is published and a day or two later, or in Savali's case, the same day that player suffers an injury. I have had, you can ask our buddy Ken Carmen for confirmation on this. He is Naylor's biggest fan. So I texted him one day and said, just FYI, I've got a story in the works on Josh Naylor that you're going to love. And all the pitching injuries and a couple other projects I've been working on sort of pushed the Naylor piece to the back burner. Um, but now it's that will probably never see the light of day. I don't think that's Meisel Jinx material. I just want you to, can you confirm that so I can sleep at night? I can't confirm anything. I'm not the, I don't decide what is supernatural and what is not just natural occurrences. Okay. The randomness of, of life. I I can't be the one that decides these things. Are you kidding me? Let's say Jose Ramirez is on second base with (laughs) two outs in the ninth. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. I've seen that movie and two outs in the ninth. You can pick any healthy hitter. They're at progressive field. What more do you need? Well, see, I was concerned about the defense because if there's one out, maybe they're playing a certain way compared to two outs. And that might change my opinion on who I want at the plate. Like maybe if I'm looking for contact and the, the infield might be drawn a certain way, then I want a guy that could hit the ball to all fields. Maybe I want Ahmed Rosario, but if you're, down by a couple of runs. Maybe I want Fran Miller or Bobby Bradley up there. See how this could change? You're down by one run. Okay. Jose's at second. Okay. Are we only talking about hitters currently on the roster? Currently on the roster okay. at the time of this podcast. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so batting order doesn't matter. I can just pick whichever player just I want. Just pick a hitter. Why can't I have all the factors in front of me before I make my decision? It ain't what, that deep, bro. What kind of... Life decision will you just make your choice without weighing all of the factors? Okay, uh, which hitter would I most want at the plate? Well, I need a hit, so I'm concerned about guys that get base hits compared to drawing a walk. That's not going to help me in this scenario. So I probably come down to Ahmed Rosario or Harold Ramirez. Oh my god. Why am I saying those names? If I would have told, if imagine telling myself that this was going to be my answer, and I'm down to Harold Ramirez or Ahmed Rosario, and it's March. <laughs> like, what would I be thinking? Wait, hold that. That might be a good question. I will go with Ahmed Rosario. I guess I don't feel too confident about that answer. Well, I'm going to go with Ahmed Rosario. Mound, that's a very good choice. Oh, now you're going to give me some more, some more details. 
but it's a uh, switch pitcher, so you're out of luck. <laughs> no, I, I think I had the final, those same two guys. I, I, and the point of me asking that is, as you said, in March or even April, who would have said, who would have thought that? I mean, Ahmed Rosario, maybe, but Harold Ramirez is in this conversation. That's crazy, but it's warranted. Um all right. And there's no Fran Mill here, so you're, you're removing that. I'm not going to go with, with Cesar, who it's home runs or, or nothing else right now. Uh, who else? Is, is there anyone else even in that conversation? Rene Rivera, I guess, maybe. <laughs> no home run on Sunday. He's been pretty decent filling in here for Roberto Perez, who we're not going to see until early July. Who is there anyone else? We're not going to see until early July, and we're recording this on June twenty eighth. Man, that's the end of the week. True. Uh, is there anyone else I'm, I'm missing? It's like <laughs> no, when you, when you mean, weigh this in your own head, is there anyone other than Ramirez or Rosario that you? I mean, Eddie Rosario, he is the RBI master here. Somehow finds way to drive drive in runs. Those three were the only three who came to mind, and I. I probably would have gone probably would have gone Harold. I guess that depends on lefty righty. If it's a lefty, give me Ahmed. If it's a righty, give me Harold. And Eddie would have been third and Yeah. Cesar a very, very distant fourth. Yeah. That feels right to me. Somehow this team's forty one and thirty three. It's kinda <laughs> weird. Um anyway. Question four. Similar sort of thought here. Had I told you in April that come early July, the only member of the opening day rotation who would still be in the rotation would be Logan Allen, and that he had a nine ERA. And this is assuming Logan Allen will start Thursday. We don't know at this point. He was originally going to start Sunday if Saturday's game wasn't rained out. But if I would have told you the only member of the rotation would be Logan Allen and his nine ERA, what on earth would you have guessed happened? Some alien invasion, aliens, catastro- catastrophic aliens. Uh, meteor strike. What ancient astronaut theorists believe that at one point aliens came down and took the Indian starting rotation away into a spaceship. As the leading conspiracy theory podcast in the Cleveland sports sphere, yeah, I what mean, what would you have guessed? You got the government out there confirming there's UFOs. And they don't know what they are. They can't say that they're aliens, but they're not not saying that they're aliens. And yeah, it would have to be some sort of abduction, I think. (laughs) Okay. And honestly, like we don't need to provide further analysis because it it just makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah, there's no real answer for that. I I don't know. It would have been something catastrophic, just not something you want to think about, probably. Which member of the 2021 Indians will make for the best random Indian of the day on a Selby's Godcast episode five years from now? Ooh, luckily, I have the 2021 roster pulled up in front of me. There's some good options. Uh, Blake Parker might be a good one, just because he's got some name recognition and probably won't stick around. I have him on this year. Um, the one that hasn't even made an appearance yet is is near the top of my head. Brad Peacock. Oh. What if he pitches like three games and that's it? I I, I don't know. (laughs) Do you want to hear? I I mean, I ranked the top five if you want. Yeah, let me go. Hold on. Um, Ryan LaVarnway will be up near the top. 
Yes. Uh, Rene Rivera, too. Mm-hmm. I had him third. Mm. Tough to know what's going to happen to Justin Garza, but, I mean, that was already a who when yes. they called him up. I have to admit, I remember when they drafted him, I didn't even really realize um, that he had risen. And that's another one had, where if, <laughs> he had risen. Yeah. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season, Justin Garza would be pitching a few innings on June 27th. I would have said, what is happening? Yeah. Um, I mean, those and are, then there's, those one, there's one other one you haven't named. Uh, ben Gamble, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like, that's he and Colin Cowgill suffered similar fates opening day roster. Um, you know, when, when the, when the lineup is struggling in like 2027, there'll be some people who tweet, Oh, well they're, they're starting outfield in 2021 had Ben Gamble in April. So it could be worse. Um, just like people do with 2016 when it was what bird Davis and Calgill on opening day. Yeah. I just want to point out that Gamble is rocking a 253-13-400 slash line for an OPS plus of 97 since he joined the Pirates. Yeah, but I mean, I have no, like, okay, I'd rather see Harold Ramirez. He's been <laughs> great. And uh, to keep updating this, Jake Bowers is rocking a 283-328-367 slug for a 695 OPS. Or Jeez, pretty, uh... much, pretty much exactly a 100 OPS plus 99. It's like you're stalking him. I just keep sending you updates every day. He's your favorite punching bag or whatever. <laughs> I said things can get better for him, but his ceiling is probably still hovering somewhere around league average. So you know that if you think someone else might have a higher ceiling, go with that guy. All right. What's your All next right, question? It's question six. If the season ended today, that'd be weird. But if it did, is Terry Francona the American League Manager of the Year? <laughs> and should we consult our buddy Ryan Lewis on this, who votes for Manager of the Year every single yes, the, year? The Ryan Lewis Award goes to probably not. I think he would more more than likely be a finalist. I think there's a lot of people out there nationally that don't recognize the Indians being at least what I didn't. I missed what Chicago did in their finale. What's the st- current standings? Cleveland is two and a half games okay. back. They're actually closer in the division than they are in the wild card. Yeah. Well, the White Sox have really scuffled here recently. And it's, I mean, you had to know that they were going to have a, a stretch like this coming up because they've had so many injuries and they're trying to put together things in their, their lineup beyond any sort of level they thought they were going to have to. And, and some guys have cooled off. So yeah, not surprised. They're, they're going through a rough stretch here. And Should we talk about, close. let's, let's, let's narrow the field to a, few i think it feels weird to say you you mentioned this before we started is alex cora a finalist yeah beyond finalist i think off the top of my well is kevin cash i I mean they made the world series but that's still a team nobody knows any players on and they have the second best run differential in the american league i think it would go to dusty baker really yeah i mean the astros are well, no pun intended. They're out of this world right now. And, and yeah, they, they went through it last year, too, to an extent. But Dusty Baker, I think he's going to get a lot of credit for it, for holding this together when not too long ago they had a scandal of their own. So it might be Dusty Baker. 
I think I think I it's think, between um, Baker and Cora in my mind. I, I think the nod would go to Baker. That's so awkward. The two teams busted for cheating. <laughs> um, I think an underrated option. I'm not saying he deserves to win, but Scott Service in Seattle. That team has no business being three games above 500. And yeah, they, they have you a know the rules here. What are the rules of manager of the year voting? Take a team that wasn't expected to be good and is good. The only thing that that could bust that, I think, is is Dusty. The Astros were were thought they were going to be okay. I don't think anybody thought they were going to be this good. And I mean, then the Oakland, the Red is Sox, doing are, what they do every year. Yes, but that, no one understands how. Right, but I think that's kind of commonplace. Like it's not something. Oh my gosh, what were they doing? So because the Red Sox weren't supposed to be good, and they have been, and they're just kicking the Yankees' ass every game. I think it's between Cora and Baker, and Baker gets the nod. It's interesting. I mean, the National League seems pretty easy because using the same logic, I think you would just give it to the Gabe Kapler, right? I mean, no one thought the Giants would be 50 and 27, especially in that division. I love following the Giants this year because they're just a team full of all of these old guys and <laughs> and then some other guys that teams gave up on and the Giants gave them a shot. And I've been fascinated by the way that they've hung around, more than hung around. I mean, they've been really good in the West. That, that'll that be a fun race to see how that, that concludes because the Dodgers, the Dodgers are the one team's like, oh, maybe they're in trouble. That's just weird to think about. Let me frame this a little different. If the Indians keep this up and they're on pace to win pretty close to 90 games, I'm going to do some 89. quick math here. They're on pace to win 89.7. <laughs> ah, of course, of course. They are on pace to win 90 games. So, if they do that, does that change your answer? Does Terry Francona? No. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't know what other teams do, but no. I mean, I think it's a it's an okay enough story, but they would have to win a wild card, I think, for that to push it over the top in people's minds. I mean, I'm I'm trying to put myself in the minds of voters, not do I think he did a good job. I mean, we've talked about you that. don't want to go inside Ryan's mind. I can assure you of that. <laughs> I. Just based on text messages that we exchanged, I would agree with that assessment. All right. Interesting. You're, uh, I, I'm curious to see. Do I, you disagree? I, Is there someone else you think? I don't know. I, I hate that that's how we look at it. Okay. That's fair. But do you think Dusty Baker has done a pretty good job in Houston, all things considered? Sure. But I also have, from the outside looking in, I have no way of knowing what sort of impact that's yeah. why i think voting for this award is stupid because we just take that that's why we just take a team that had low expectations and award a manager who the team fared well i mean it, it's it, a lot of seasons it's dumb um you know when tito won i think he won in 2013 and 2016 i mean 2016 is understandable given what that team went through and no one had high expectations for them but for in most years, like that doesn't always have to be the case because you might have more talent and better talent than you realized. And that's not necessarily the manager doing it. So I don't know. It's hard. Completely that's my point. Subjective. It's, I mean, there's no way yeah. of knowing. And maybe in some ways that's kind of a throwback baseball argument because MVP used to be a little bit subjective too. Mm-hmm. Cy Young used to be a little bit more subjective, but now it's, nope, let's have the stats to back it up. And I'm glad that we have those things. But it's also kind of fun to just kind of sit back and here's my opinion on on something that I can't verify. You can't verify yours, and we're just going to argue about it. <laughs> so the the way the voting works is two 
writers from each city vote. So there's 30 total votes because it's you have 15 American League teams. I'm really curious to see. I mean, I wonder if, let's say, the voting took place today. Maybe the two Cleveland writers would vote Francona. The two Houston writers would vote Baker. Two Tampa writers would vote Kevin Cash. Um, I think you'd have a pretty uh, close race between f- maybe four or five guys even. I mean, the, the guy, the people in Seattle know better than anyone how their manager has yeah. somehow directed them to a winning record. But it's also though. hard to just separate personal bias out from that too. Yeah, more than other awards because you don't have statistics for managers aside from wins and losses. Okay. And then sometimes – we've, we've talked about this before. Sometimes there's, there's some external pressure because the voting is public. And if you don't vote for for the guy that you cover, then is the fan base going to come after you? And is it even worth <laughs> is it even worth it on something like this? You're like, oh, I'll just vote for the guy that I see every day. So how much does that skew? I'm not saying it skews every vote, but I am sure there are some votes that are cast just because I don't want people yelling at me. Just vote for whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh- that's why Chris Hassenheimer voted for CC Sabathia for Rookie of the Year and had all of Japan mad at him because he didn't pick Ichiro. <laughs> Do you want Cleveland mad at you, where you live, or another country? That's I guess that's a <laughs> exercise. I, I will tell you that some will say, well, yeah, how much of the fan base is going to be really upset with you based on manager of the year voting? When I voted for Kevin Cash, when I had that, I don't remember what year it was, 17, 18, uh, I voted for Kevin Cash. There were a, a, a few Red Sox fans slid into the mentions, and one even made a list of people that didn't vote for Cora. They, they <laughs> named the list people that didn't vote for Cora, and I was on the list. And it's like, okay, guys, start making a list. I don't think I want to be part of that. Yeah, I just uh, – I'm still going to vote Aloy Jimenez for AL MVP, so, just so I can prove I was right. No, let the record show that I, I had, after he got hurt, an hour after I filed my MVP pick, I switched it to Otani. So, Meisel Jinx hasn't struck there yet, no. and that's looking pretty good. It would be worse. You could have voted for Ryan Tapera. <laughs> He's actually not bad. All right, last question. I, we don't, it's, this doesn't need to be 1 to 10, but give me a level of how glued you are to your TV or radio. How how much appointment viewing has this team been? Um, And not only just watching them, but just following and keeping tabs and not, I mean, I know it's, we have to, but how much more palatable has it been this season based on the low expectations, the number of unknown commodities on the roster and the fact that they are finding ways to win still, how much more enjoyable and pleasant has that been to follow? And well, entertaining is, is that than compared to pre- okay compared to previous years or just overall? I guess yeah, I'm not saying that this team's more fun to watch than the '95 Indians, um, <laughs> but I just in terms in compared to the last let's say three years. Uh, I, I got you. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but in previous years, okay, they're they're losing a game. If you don't have to to work, if you're not concerned about the outcome, you could shut the game off. Whatever, I'll check in later. But because this season is so much about seeing individual performance on top of seeing if they can win games. Even when they're down by five, six runs, I still want to see what Bobby Bradley does in his final at-bat. Or I still want to see what Ahmed Rosario does in his final at-bat against the righty. Uh, Or you want to see what, maybe to a lesser extent, Trevor Steffen does with an inning because 
maybe this is a guy that is taking high leverage innings uh, into his hands in the next several years. So there are more reasons, I think, to stay involved in games that in the past you would just shut off. So because of that, I would say that there's somewhere pretty high on that scale, on that scale of so eight, nine, somewhere in that territory. I mean, if you're thinking like the 22 game win streak is 10, like you're in on every pitch and you're very concerned about the outcome. Maybe this drifts more toward a six or a seven, but compared to recent years, I think it would fall somewhere in that eight, nine territory for me, just because of those individual factors that maybe you were less concerned about in years past. Yeah, I tried to think back to like 2011, 2012, when I think a lot, many of us didn't really think those teams were sustainable and you're waiting for the bottom to fall out, but you still had to watch every day because they were defying expectations, especially in 2011 when they started 30 and 15 with players no one had ever heard of. This is a little different though, because there's, there are successful players on the roster already. So it's, it's higher than that. And I think the the future is brighter. I mean, in 2011, we didn't know. I mean, they had just drafted Francisco Lindor. We didn't know who Jose Ramirez was. Uh, you didn't have a pitching factory or anything resembling it when you're throwing Mitch Talbot and Tomo Oka out there or whoever else was on that roster. But um, yeah, this is it, it's much more interesting just because 2018 was a formality. It was wake us up in October. 2019 was... It just kind of felt like the beginning of the end, and 2020 was so weird, and there were no fans, and I think we all knew it was Francisco Lindor's last season, and maybe their last hurrah, and I think he had low expectations anyway, just because they hadn't supplemented the roster, so you put all that aside, and this season just seems so much more refreshing, and I think if you if you choose to look at it as the beginning of the new era, and even if you believe the best seasons of whatever run is next are probably 2022, 2023, 2024, more so than 2021. Sometimes that's fun because you're starting something new and it's a new journey. And um, the way they play is just really, I, look, the defense at times makes you, I, I, I mentioned the, the Paul Hoynes and I are, when we just look at each other and we're just shaking our heads, like what the hell did we just watch and how it seems like we've done that quite a bit. Um, this season just with some of the defensive gaffes and um, base running mistakes, but they play hard. And I just think back to when Framo Reyes said at the beginning or the very end of spring training, and he said, we're going to surprise you guys. And I know you may not believe it and you may not understand it right now, but just wait. And I think there's a belief in the, that clubhouse, just that this team has more talent than people realize. And they just need to, to figure out how to harness it and deploy it. And so watching that evolution, I think is, is enjoyable and it's, it's more enjoyable than watching, I think established players just kind of play out the string and wait to really turn it on when it counts. These guys know every single one of these games counts because this roster shouldn't be doing this right now. So it's, it's been enjoyable. I don't know if it's sustainable. They don't know if it's sustainable. Um, we may be talking in August about a team that is looking ahead to 2022. We may not. They may get guys back. And, and <laughs> but, but really, how much different would this be if that was the outlook? Like, what would be the moves? They would well, stop you're playing talking Cesar I mean, as frequently. They would stop playing Eddie Rosario as frequently. I mean, what, what would be the moves? I just mean from a sense of, of feeling that every single 
game is critical and you're hanging on every pitch and like I mean, that doesn't confession time. That's that. kind of how I entered the year. That was kind of my outlook when we started this, this whole season. I, you had him two games below 500. I had him what, right at 500 or maybe slightly over 500. You said 82 and 80. Okay. So that, I mean, that was my outlook when this season began and to be where they're at, of course it's surprising to me. Do I think they're going to finish with more than like 85 or 86 wins? I probably wouldn't bet a lot on that. And a lot of it is just because, I mean, how much can you sustain losing all of your key pieces the way that they have? And they got a pretty tough stretch coming up against some good teams. Can they manage to keep their head above water? They've already banked the win, so that helps. But you know, I, I don't know. And I'm anxious to see what happens. But that was sort of my outlook when this season began, that I wasn't having any major expectations. And that adds, it's coming back to that manager of the year discussion, it kind of adds to your enjoyment level. When you don't believe a team is going to accomplish much, at least in the win-loss column, and they go out there and hang around, and they're certainly within striking distance in the, the central, we could argue about whether or not they should be or whether or not they will be in the, the coming months, but they are right now. And I can't argue with that. So I think it just adds to the enjoyment level. You're right. If this was a team of 30, 31, 32-year-old pieces and 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 their their record was what it is, I mean, you would enjoy the fact that they're hanging around in the division. Maybe you would feel better about the, the long-term staying power because you would be talking about guys with proven track records and you would have more of, of a belief in what to expect. But I can't say that the games would be more enjoyable or that I would want to stick around during losses to see individual performances. That just adds to it. So I guess to answer your question, that's why I, I, I have this rated pretty highly because it's not just about seeing if we can watch some exciting baseball, but it's also answering some individual questions that out, those operate outside of what the score is on a nightly basis. Yeah. So my reason for asking was, I've been asked the question time and time again for the last couple of months, how are they doing this? Is it sustainable? And I think a lot of people are skeptical and I, that I wouldn't blame you for that, but it's been enjoyable to be surprised. It's been enjoyable to look at Hoynesy and say, what the hell was that play? And then a couple innings later, that person atones for it with a key hit or something. And they just, continue to defy what you think is possible. And look, they're 41 and 33. I mean, it's not like they've cured cancer or, well, I guess ended a 73-year title drought. But it's been impressive. And instead of just harping on, how are they doing this? Is this sustainable? It's probably not just, we don't tell people how to feel. You can do whatever you want when you follow this team. You can feel however you want. But I hope people can sit back and, and have been able to enjoy this and appreciate it because I'm kind of shocked at how the season has played out given all the the hurdles they've had to face, given how certain young players haven't performed how they would have hoped. Um, it's been sort of a mess, and yet it's working in their favor through the first half of the season. Maybe that won't... If it's not sustainable, I hope people have at least enjoyed this part. Um, so... Who knows what'll happen? Um, but it's it's been it's been weird. There have been seasons where it's a Tuesday night in August and the Indians are good, but man, watching them is just painful because it's you, you it, the the game feels like it doesn't mean anything. And I, I just 
this season, I feel like I'm glued to every pitch more than I have been because I want to learn about these young players. I'm watching Sam Hentges on Sunday and watching his family see him pitch in Minnesota for the first time since he threw a shutout in the state championship game in 2014. And I'm seeing if he can throw his fastball by hitters bats and can he command his curveball and slider and watching his family react to his every pitch. And it's, there's just something really interesting every night. It seems a young player who you're waiting to see if they could take the next step, a guy who probably shouldn't even be in the majors yet, but is trying to prove he belongs. Um, Rene Rivera having like a fountain of youth, the, the, the bullpen pitching as well as it's just been, there has been a reason to watch every night and we haven't been able to always say that. And, you know, I look, I have to be an objective journalist. I don't really, I'm rooting for the story here. Um, and it just so happens that the story is captivating if this team keeps this up and, and somehow continues to surprise people. So it's been enjoyable watching them get to this point and we'll see what happens from here. Final thing. I feel like we, we spend a lot of time. And it's a, a conversation we've had before just on the topic of the, the never ending battle battle between analytics and old school. And I think some of that has died down in recent years. It's probably overblown and, and there's probably both sides attacking a straw man that no longer exists, but uh, it, it is fair that in the past we have talked about former players that are, aren't as willing to discuss the analytical side, or at least have nuanced opinions on it, be willing to blend the two. And because we have had negative conversations about those that aren't willing to do that, I felt it was worthy to give somebody some credit that is willing to have more of a nuanced take. So I'm not sure if you caught this, but on a recent Yankees telecast, David Cohen is on there doing uh, some some analy- analyst work for, what is it, Yes? Yes Network, I believe. And mm-hmm. I just thought th- the conversation they were they were having was about strikeouts in baseball and hitters and their approach. And they turned to David Cohn to get his opinion on it. And I just liked what he had to say. I have a problem when somebody says analytics, as if analytics is one thing under one umbrella. What that tells me is that whoever's saying that doesn't understand what analytics really are, in my mind. The game has changed because you've got five or six relievers throwing 100 miles an hour on every team almost. And Mike Schmidt didn't have to face those relievers. He faced the starter four times. Aaron Judge is facing the starter once or twice. So there's more than one explanation for what's going on. The pitching is so much better and so much more deep. In particular, the bullpen. The game has changed. It's different. Now, is there some validity in some, some, some of the things he's saying? Yes. And what Paul's saying? Yes. But if you're going against launch angle, you're going against Ted Williams. This isn't new. Go read Ted Williams' book. This philosophy has been around forever. I could show you a New York Times article from 1910 that says everything that Mike Schmidt just said. Science is ruining the game. Nobody wants to walk anymore. Nobody wants to bunt anymore. Oh, New York Times, 1910. This is the argument that is perpetual. It's been around forever. Now, some of what he's saying there is it's, it's not new. It's things that have been discussed. The Ted Williams angle, none of that's new. And I'm not saying that there's only one way to enjoy the game of baseball. I think that's silly. If you want to think of it through the prism of how you thought of it as a kid or the old school mentality, by all means, do it that way. You don't have to pay attention to every single advanced stat or dive in that deep. But there are certainly those that enjoy it. I enjoy it. You enjoy it. Um, Having a deeper understanding of what's happening. But to me, the more 
impressive thing. It's just that, that David Cohen is willing to to think a little bit nuanced about that, to not be so into, well, this is the way that we played the game and hitters just need to make an adjustment. As we've talked about before, I, I would appreciate more balls in play and a little bit more exciting style compared to everybody striking out a third of the time. But the game of baseball has to incentivize that for hitters because there's not as much incentive to put the ball in play as there used to be. So I just wanted to give David Cohn some appreciation, some love for having an opinion that was not just, no, no, no. I am a former player. This is just how it's been and this is how it always will be. He recognizes that there's always been this this battle dating back to probably when the game began. And it's probably always going to be there. Yeah, I, I think it's the terminology that maybe rubs. I don't want to just group all former players into one category, but it's the fact that it's launch angle instead of just it's common sense. And, and hitters have always talked about it. I mean, you want to combat what the pitcher is doing. That's why the launch angle revolution happened. And, but we phrase it in a way that sounds daunting and scary and maybe too brainy. And then people act like it's you know, taboo and it's this <laughs> the boogeyman. Um, that, that's part of it, part the of it is we need to do a better job of just, not just saying launch angle, launch angle, launch angle. What, what, what do we mean? What do we mean by that? Because I think even to this point, that launch angle discussion that it is discussed like it's a boogeyman. I even roll my eyes at that. Now it's, it goes beyond that. We've, we've pushed beyond sort of that level of thinking. Now it's, you know, what, how and why, and, and what's the purpose of trying to do what you do as a hitter and that you're not going to put all of the hitters into the same basket. I think just there's level of nuance there that everyone has to appreciate. And I think that's what David Cohn was trying to suggest. Yeah. We talked about this after uh, a few weeks ago, after I published a story, talking to Shane Bieber about pitch tunneling, which I think happened. I was published a couple of days before he got hurt. What a surprise. Um, but then we talked on the podcast about how. Play him off, Shit. We tried, we, we tried to do pitch tunneling when we were playing triple play 99 back in the day. I mean, it's you throw a fastball low and away, and then you throw a curveball low and away that starts where the fastball was, but drops out of the zone. So the hitter swings and misses as if the AI could pick up on what you were trying to do there and was fooled instead of just, it's a video game, but pitch tunneling has been around forever. I don't know that in the 1970s, they called it pitch tunneling. I don't know that they were measuring spin rates back then, but yeah, we have a little bit more data and technology at our fingertips now, and it maybe enhances the discussion around these similar topics and strategies that have been deployed for decades and decades and decades. So it's like the strategy in the game. Sure. It's evolved some and it's become more technical, but it's still the same basic tenets and analytics doesn't change that. It just arms you with more information to confirm if those strategies are correct or not. But because we use the terminology we use and pitch tunneling sounds scary, but just Making a hit, saying, "Oh, I want to make this hitter believe it's a fastball, but it's actually going to be a curveball." That talk has probably been around since there were you needed four strikes to get a strikeout and seven balls to get a walk or whatever, and they wore like <laughs> wool knickers on the field. I mean, you catch on. the ball on the bounce and it's still an out. Yeah, so it's it's the same stuff. It's just it's the terminology that I think scares people and threatens them for some reason. So it's nice, it's refreshing to hear David Cohn say that. Yep, just wanted to give him some love. I thought he was worthy of it, and uh, I appreciate that. Um, and we're all guilty of it. 
at times it does come across very brainiac and I have all the answers and you don't. And I certainly try to take a step back from that, but we're all, I guess we're all guilty of that. So I, I, I just appreciate when someone can acknowledge because I want to acknowledge it too, that I don't have all the answers and I'm eager to know more. And sometimes you think, you know, something and you learn something else and it changes your opinion on it, but I don't blame hitters for the way that things have gotten. This is just the byproduct of having better pitchers and realizing it's really hard to get three base hits in a row to score a run. And if I put the ball in play, the defenses are optimized to catch that. And so are we going to try to run through here and and get three or four base hits to create a run or two, or am I going to take my chances that I might hit one out of the ballpark? And that's where a lot of that swing and miss comes from. And so incentivize other places in the game to create more balls in play. Maybe that's what they're doing with some of the uh, the checking of the pitchers, and that leads to more offense. I'm eager to see if that does. I think that's what's important here, and it's it's on baseball. and And I I, I kind of like what some of the things that Theo has discussed since joining. Uh, what is his role in Major League Baseball? And whatever it is, uh, he Bizarre. seems yeah he seems keen to to trying to make some of those changes and realizing you don't blame the players. You blame the system that has got to this point. And if you want to change that, you change the system. And then the players adapt off of that. But this is not time to get into that lengthy discussion. We'll save that for another podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify is where you find this. Of course, you can join us at patreon.com slash Godcast, And we'll be back later this week for that. Any parting words? Yeah, shout out to Evs, who used the name Skip to my Lou Marson who said the deep affection for the game and the team that plays on the corner of Carnegie and Ontario is easy to witness in each episode. Uh, A beautiful five-star review. We thank you and we remind you if you leave one of those bad boys or subscribe to our Patreon page, we owe you, I owe you a beer. And anyone doubting that I pay up, just ask our buddy Matt, who had a delicious EPA at Target Field on Thursday evening, courtesy of my wallet. Delicious. We're out of here. See ya.